Welcome to another stop on the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Vincent Williams, and I'm joined as always by... Yo, what's up, Holla, your boy? This is Len, a.k.a. The Bat Tribble. And on this stop on the Michelle Mission, we are going into what my partner would call the Wayback Machine, <laughs> all the way back to my favorite decade, the 70s, to talk about 1972's Cool Breeze. A 1972 film directed by Barry Pollock and released by Metro Gollum Mayer, the quote, company that brought you Shaft. Metro Goldwyn. What did I say? Gollum. Gollum? Did I say Gollum? He's <laughs> a Gollum. It's because it's my precious. Because <laughs> I'm looking at the poster and Thelma Priscilla is holding diamonds. Oh, I thought it was because you saw uh, Judy Pace. <laughs> Oh, we're going to get to Judy Pace. <laughs> no, you're not going to get to Judy Pace. <laughs> and a lawsuit happening. <laughs> this 1972 film is loosely based on W.R. Burnett's 1949 novel and a remake of the 1950 film, The Asphalt Jungle, this time with obviously a predominantly black cast starring Thalmas Rosala and a literal cavalcade of 70s black actors. But before we get into all that, as usual, we like to start with all the feedback that we got from each and every one of you, including via email at Mission at gmail.com, where we heard from Sherry D. Hey, what's up, Sherry D? In regards to our review last week of Why Do Fools Fall in Love? Yes. I just want to say thanks for the episode. That's one of my favorite films. I oh. love the performances. There are funny moments, but also some harsh realities in this flick. It's a painful look at what Frankie Lyman went through and what he put those three wives through. And Little Richard is the icing on the cake. <laughs> I saw him perform live once at an outdoor wow. concert in D.C. some years ago. It seemed like the man talked more than sang. <laughs> he started playing and singing and then inter interrupted himself to ask us, do you love me? I thought it was funny as hell. I loved it, although some folks near me were getting irked because they have to abruptly stop dancing when he abruptly stopped playing. Oh, The man's a character. And one hell of a musician. All right. You spoke during this episode about some of the music documentaries that are out right now. I recently watched the one on Netflix about Sam Cooke, mm. a celebration of this great singer and socially conscious man and an examination of the strange way that he met his end. It's a good mm -hmm. documentary. What yep. a voice. Yeah. And, as you mentioned, the doc on Clarence Avant was great. I'm surprised that I'd never heard of him before. Well, as always, thanks for the great discussion. All the best, Sherry. Oh, you're welcome, Sherry. D. That's amazing that she's seen Little Richard live. Yeah, I've never seen him Yeah, live. I've never seen him live. I've never even had the opportunity to see him, him live. And, and that Sam Cooke documentary, the funny thing is... I'm not even sure which documentary is on Netflix, whether or not it's a new one or not, because there are so many really interesting documentaries about Sam Cooke because he did have this fascinating life. Mm -hmm. Like, like I, I've seen stuff about Sam Cooke with the um, Solsters, 
when when he was doing gospel music, I've seen Sam Cooke and, you know, just his own music. My brother, who is a bit of a conspiracy theorist, and I call him a conspiracy theorist just because he's more of one than I am. Okay. Has always argued that that was a hit when Sam Cooke was murdered because Sam Cooke was talking about black ownership. Oh, really? Yeah, and he had started his own record label, or he was in the process mm-hmm. of starting. And, and sort of in reference to what we talked about last week, Sam Cooke was one of the early black entertainers and creators who articulated the importance of ownership yeah. of your masters and your songwriting credits. And my brother has always theorized that the powers that be murdered him. Yeah, I've heard a couple of podcasts actually about the the um, the murder of Sam Cooke. Yeah, because it was real sketchy circumstances. Oh, it was a lot of sketchy circumstances. Real, real sketchy. Like I, I, I don't remember like all the ins and out of it, but I mean, like you needed, like you literally needed one of those flow charts, like you see in the, on TV where they got the rubber bands going all right, over the place, right? Like to connect all the dots. You know, he's butt naked running out the room, chasing yeah. after. Like and it didn't even doesn't even sound like it makes sense. Well, actually, it sounds like. It makes sense. That that part. Right, right. Those were wild days. Those were wild days. And but he was a wild man. And well, hey. You know. But thank you, Sherry. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good to hear from you. Feel like we haven't heard from her in a minute. We have not. Yeah. You know, I was actually when she brings up Sam Cook, I always for a minute have to pause and say, Okay, are we talking about Sam Cook? Or are we talking about Jackie Wilson? Because mm. for whatever reason, and I don't, and I'm not exactly sure why, I always confuse the two. They wore really tight pants. That's probably both it. of them. That's really, really it. tight pants. That's probably it. Like they put on pants that fit, and they say, "Oh, these pants fit." Do you have them two sizes smaller than the pair that I have on? Yes. And then they'd wear those. Oh, you want Jackie Wilson's pants. Exactly. Exactly. The Jackie. <laughs> no, they're going to be Sam Cooke pants. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you very kindly. So, yes. All right. So, um, so yeah. So we, we heard from that, that there. Oh, let us see. What else do we have, Vince? Um, I know we have something else here. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, Robert Monroe. Hey, what's up, Robert? posted that we were mentioned on a New Zealand podcast. Excellent. As promised. Thank you. The podcast hour. Awesome. Which is available on Spotify on their Saturday, July 6th episode actually played an excerpt from our show. Excellent. There and uh, well, gave us a shout you. out. So that was pretty dope. That is pretty dope. And um, they actually found us as we we discovered by way of uh, Robert Monroe, and we appreciate that, Robert. Good looking out. Yeah, good, good looking out. And and he posted this th- that actual episode in the Facebook fan page. Um, he provided a link there, so if people want to check it out and you know hear what they say about us, feel free. It's pretty dope. All right, let us move on to. We also got some more comments about our review last week of. Why do fools fall in love? Clement Jr. said that we did a great show. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Clement. Appreciate that. Andrew Myray said, uh, What's apolo- up, Andrew? Apologies to Markham Lee. 
After that Tyler Perry story about aspiring writers copying his style, I'm a little more disgusted at his brand. To which Markham responded, honestly, I'm more more disgusted with us. If black people don't eat that ish up, he either wouldn't be successful or he would be successful doing something else. It would be one thing if this was if this was trashy ish that people like, but didn't take seriously, but people seem, but people see those movies as morality lessons. Absolutely. To quote uh, Dr. Williams, black people make me tired. Yeah, they do sometimes. Yeah, right. That's, that that is true. Um, But, well, I think it's complicated. You know, I think Tyler Perry is complicated. I talked last a couple of weeks ago about grappling with Michael Jackson. I also grapple with Tyler Perry. A lot of grappling. Yeah, you you have you have fun wrestling with yourself. Yeah, yeah a lot of grappling, but but yes. Don Miskell also wrote. Hey, what's up, Don? Oh, I was we, just. I said, what's up, Don? I was just listening to Len and Vince chopping it up over why do fools fall in love yesterday when it was mentioned that. Keith Washington spent more time on perming his mustache <laughs> than putting out hit singles. And I just about fell the F out. <laughs> to his credit, <laughs> some years back, an off-Broadway production called The Life of Marvin Gaye was making the rounds. Okay. I took my wife to go see it. And for better or worse, Keith Washington, mustache and all, was the only good thing in that play. Hey, dude the, can sing. The rest of it was the waste of money for the oh. tickets I purchased. Oh. Fortunately, though they promised to put out a similar musical devoted to Luther's biography, I never heard anything else about it. Not that I would n- never want to see Mr. Vandross immortalized in such a way, but if it was to be by a low-budget, bootleg-at-best production, <laughs> I'd rather they not... Make the late great singer roll over in his grave. <laughs> yeah, I believe Mr. Washington has joined the ranks of Gregory Abbott, who amusingly looked like he was trying to pull off his best Philip Michael Thomas look <laughs> in the video for Shake You Down. I was about to say, girl, I want to shake you down. So, where's the best of collection featuring only one or two cuts you can recall? The best of Keith Washington. I'm sure it's coming. Yes, yes, yes. He's he's about he's about what about good two three more years. Oh boy. Uh, Aaron Fry. What's up, Aaron? He wanted to give missionaries uh, a lookout. If you follow, um, this show is right up there to me with Queen Sugar. And that show is Greenleaf. Yes, sir. Which will be coming back in the fall. In the fall to the <laughs> Oprah Winfrey Network. You know, I like some Greenleaf. I don't think it's as good as Queen Sugar, mm-hmm. but I do like some Greenleaf. It, it 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 hits you differently. It's, it is. It it does. You like the trashiness? Of I it? I love the trashiness of it. Okay, what about why do you love the trashiness of Greenleaf? Yet you left behind the trashiness of empire. That is a great question. And I think the answer is Keith David. I just I didn't Lynn know. Whitfield? And Lynn Whitfield. Okay. Keith David and Lynn Whitfield are absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. Also, as someone who is 
Christian more on paper than in practice. <laughs> like I have a church membership. That paper is about to burst in flames. Know, so I have a church membership. So heaven forbid something happens, my funeral will be in a church, which was ah. a which was a big deal with old people when I was young. Ah, so that's what your membership is. Yeah, funeral insurance. Right. <laughs> oh, this is terrible. Um, I'm. I'm really, really fascinated by how churches run. Okay. So like the mega church, the runnings of the mega church, and I don't know how realistic yeah, I'm about it to is. Say, you really think Greenleaf? Because like I said, I don't know. That's your window into Enon that is Tabernacle. My, that is my window. As far as I know, all these big preachers at some point burned down a building <laughs> and killed the guy back in the 60s. But yeah, that's that's really it. It really is just Lynn Whitfield and Keith David. Again, I try not to judge people's trashy um viewing, which is also part of the reason that I grapple with Tyler Perry. Like, like judge not lest ye be judged. <laughs> and like you and I were talking remember we were talking a few weeks ago and then we had the snafu and it didn't make it on the tape. Like, I'm still working my way through all of those uh Toho scope kaiju movies. Mm. So, you know, I don't really throw that many stones at people with what they watch because, hey, we all have our taste. Okay. But just I am looking forward to Greenleaf coming back. Craig Wooten. What's up, Craig? Put a post on our Facebook uh, fan group letting us know that there is a documentary coming out. Okay. Shortly, I don't believe there's been a date set or anything like that about the making of the five heartbeats. I saw that. I saw that, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, because that is one of your like. Uh, I think that's one of my favorite movies. Like, I think it's fair to say that's one of definitely in my top twenty-five. Like I say, top twenty, and not black movies. That's movies, movies. in general. Yeah, I think I, I think without thinking about. 24 other movies or dare I say 25 other movies that I like better than the five heartbeats. I think I would say it's in my top 25. Okay. So, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. So you're looking forward to a movie about the making of it. Exactly. Which what I was going to say is I love that period, like that black pack period when those directed, which is a perfect segue to the article from the New York times that a bunch of folks Posted in the group. You, you, do you have it in front of you? So we can get the um, exact title. Where they had all of the directors talking to each other. It's like Maddie Rich, Julie Dash. Oh no. I, I forget the that. brother's name who directed uh, Love Jones. I think it's like Craig Brewster. Is that his name? Craig Brewster. Mm-hmm. He was in the conversation. Oh. Um, is this the one about how Cooley High changed the landscape for black people? No, 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 no. It was early. This was maybe last week. Yeah, it was making the rounds. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. So. Yeah. So what, what was this article? It was a conversation between black filmmakers mm-hmm. from the 90s talking about a lot of the issues that we've talked about on this show. As far as getting financing and 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 the type of racism and racist resistance that they got from production houses, again, a lot of 
the stuff that we talk about all the time, and it would be of great interest to all of the missionaries if they haven't seen it. Oh, yeah, I see. They set us up to fail. Black directors of the 90s speak out. Um, yeah, I see this. It's pretty... It's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great Charles Lane great conversation. One, if, was one of many who foresaw a permanent change. The Berlin Wall, having been pulled down, would not be erected. But as the decade wore on, a wall was re re erected. Black filmmakers now say, and many of the same people who had been held up as the faces of a changing industry watched as their careers ground slowly to a halt. Maddie Rich went on to say, "I was told that I was in director's jail." Yeah, um, yeah. he actually had a really... Because he talked about how if your film doesn't make a certain amount of money, it's difficult to get another job. Okay. And I think Ernest Dickerson th- says that he's still in director's jail. Wow, that's a shame. That, that's a shame, yes. Julie Dash, Maddie Rich, Darnell Martin, Ernest Dickerson, Leslie Harris, and Theodore Witcher. Yeah. Um Theodore Witcher is, is the Love Jones director I was thinking of. And, and we've said it. Like, we've actually said it about several of those directors mm-hmm. where we said, why didn't they make more films? Or it's a shame that they didn't make more films. So, like I said, it's a great article if you haven't read it. It's really cool. It's a New York Times article. So, you, um, depending on how you things go, New York Times is very, they're very diligent about making you pay. Yeah, what, uh, what date was it? Put? Yeah, give people the information so they can look it up. It's um, it is July third. This one it read. It's an article by Reggie Ugwu, July third on the New York New York Times. It was posted to our Facebook group. I'm actually going to repost it to the to the groups. Okay. So that it'll be kind of like uh, high up. Yeah. There, so people can easily. Yeah, I know. I, I know the Times usually gives you a certain number of articles you can read. So if you're not a steady Times reader, hopefully you can get to it. I'm, uh, something tells me you subscribe to the New York Times. You know what? I don't. No, I don't. And that's a whole different conversation about my relationship with journalism and whether or not I should be subscribing and all of the reasons that I don't, but I should. You should, Vince. I know. I know. What's wrong with your life? I know. I live right. I know. I don't subscribe to it either. I know. But I do subscribe to other things. All right. Just not that. All right. Um, I think that's about it. We we do have some new members, though. Okay. We have new members this week. We have uh, Tanya Elizabeth Hines. Hey, Tanya. May Rose. Hey, May. Uh, Ramon Labistia. Hey, Ramon. And Tracy Houston. Hey, Tracy. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And missionaries, please um, give them a welcome as well. Yes. To the group. Give them the Wi-Fi pass code and show them where the bathroom is. <laughs> please. Please do that because uh, I've heard May has a small bladder. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Just made that up. Um, all right. Let's get into our review, Vince. All right. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Before we get into our review, we want to let people know, because so, sometimes people don't, they don't like to check at the end of the show. So okay. We got to let them know now. Okay. So we got to let you know now that Vince and I will be in Brooklyn this Saturday. Yes, we will. Saturday, July 13th at St. Francis College for Blurred City 
Con 2019 as Vince and I sit down with a live from a show mission to review Men in Black. Starring yes. Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. And our very special guest for that interview will be Marvel's Runaways, available on Hulu, Superstar. And I'll call him a superstar because, gosh darn it, that's what the man is. Ryan Sands. Ryan Sands. will be sitting down with us to chop it up about that sci-fi 90s classic yes don't want to miss it um blurred city con 2019 there's a link on our website we find out all the information see about getting tickets we hope to see you in brooklyn this saturday july 13th yes okie dokie okay let's get into our review of cool breeze cool breeze We'll be back with the film review as soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. in San Quentin. Was, Lieutenant. Was. Hey. Where you going, man? Funny looking nigga, all right. Yeah. You go tell Mr. Finney and Sidney Lord Jones is here to see you. Everything's key to go at midnight tomorrow. The soft spot's here through the old steam tunnel. Any questions? Travis, the muscle. Roy, the box man. Mercer. Cheeky baby. The money man. Johnny, the driver. He had a plan to hit the man right where it hurts, in the diamonds. Three million bucks worth of Whitey's ice. And baby, that's cold. Poke a nigga around here. You were given that job to get it done. Now, where the hell is it getting done? Bust him! Vivian! I swear to God, I had nothing to do with that bonky thing. The dude with the diamonds is deadly. Hold it, Mr. Tinker here. Get him up! Nervous, Travis? A little bit. Now, talk that over here. for the people or the price starring Thalmus Razalala as Sidney Lord Jones with three million bucks worth of ice and baby that's cold 
Cool Breeze from MGM. Cool Breeze, a 1972 film from MGM, is loosely based on W.R. Burnett's 1949 novel and is a remake of the 1950 film The Asphalt Jungle, this time with a predominantly all-black cast. Thalmas Rosala plays Sidney Lord Jones, a convicted felon who is granted an early release by the parole board in San Quentin. While in prison, he learns about the underworld diamond trade and it motivates him to plan a heist to steal $3 million worth of diamonds from the largest diamond brokerage on the Pacific coast. After his release, Jones returns to Los Angeles and proposes the idea to money man Bill Mercer and Stretch Finian in hopes that Mercer would provide the $50,000 in seed money needed to set up the heist. Cool Breeze starring Thalmas Rosala, Judy Pace, Julian Christopher, Lincoln Kilpatrick, Margaret Avery, Paula Kelly, Royce Wallace, and and featuring Raymond St. Jock was the choice of Lynn Webb. What say you about 1972's Cool Breeze? When I saw this movie, I, I had never seen a movie. Okay. I was just looking for movies to, you know, I jumped into the Wayback Machine. It stopped in 1972. Cool Breeze popped up. I saw Thalmas Rosala. Uh, <laughs> sounds good to me. Let's right, rock right, and right. roll with it. And I primarily did that just off the strength of Thalmas Rosala because mm-hmm. he is an actor that's come up a couple of times on the Michelle Mission so far. Um, he is someone who was a um, a very popular character actor in the 70s early 80s mm-hmm. um black america probably famously knows him as the role of bill <laughs> on uh tv's what's happening as roger's father um and god bless him you know he was a man who would go on to come onto that tv screen and stand there next to Mabel King, and you couldn't tell me they weren't. Man, I could I could see where they fell in love. <laughs> I could tell, you know what I mean? Because Mabel King, that, that, that's a, that was a good looking woman, and Thomas Rosala, it's a striking young, striking man. You know, I mean, there's not too many people. You talk about Keith Washington and his mustache. There's <laughs> not too many people that could get away with having an afro. <laughs> Under your nose. It's a magnificent piece of hair. And he wore it, man. <laughs> I mean, that jaw was picked <laughs> to a fair the well. I mean, he was fly with it. So when I saw that, I'm like, okay, this is a winner. Right. So I turn on the movie, I'm watching it, and the movie opens with Thomas Rosala being let out of San Quentin, mm-hmm. let out of prison, right? And there's something about the way that him in prison and him going about leaving, because it's wordless, he doesn't even have any dialogue. Um, it's something about the way it's directed and it is, and it's shot that as I'm watching it, I'm like, Oh man, I think I might be into something in for some some little piece of goodness right here, man. Okay. Okay. There, there was there was there was just um 
I don't I don't I don't know. It, I it's it, not necessarily a crispness, but there was there was. I want. I guess what it would be is there was a professionalism and an assurance of the direction of that opening mm-hmm. that just made me sit down and say, "Okay, I'm in." I think I'm in for an interesting film right now. Okay, and that is not the norm with black films of this day. Okay. Mind you, 1972 was early in this renaissance of black movie making. Um, and it's fair to say that as that time period went on, there were diminishing returns on the black films. But considering that if people considered like the, the birth of this renaissance was sweet, sweet backs, badass song, mm-hmm. this is light years from that. Mm-hmm. So, but only probably about a year removed. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'm 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 with this. I'm I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. And then Thomas uh, Thomas Rasala he he gets to a cab, and he's about to go back, you know, to his old stomping grounds. But before he goes to his old stomping grounds, he takes off his shirt. And I think he takes it. He didn't have a tie on. He, he took off his shirt and something else. And he threw. No. Yeah. Because they gave him like a suit or something right, like that. Because right. That's what you you leave. You don't leave in like, you know, your prison garb. And so whatever they had give, given him. He took it off and he threw it. Right. And. I didn't want to nitpick, but it was something about like that little piece of the scene that I was like, uh oh, <laughs> I don't know. It was just something. It's just something about the way that was shot that I was like, "Oh, this is the black movies that I'm used to from mm. the '70s." Okay, well, let's. We're here now. Here we go. Let's watch it. So then it cuts to. I'm. 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 Gonna, I'm almost getting to my point. So then it cuts to Thomas Rosala walking up the street, and now he's 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 he's. he's He's laid. He's got on his crisp suit, big, you know, big thick tie. He's got his briefcase. He's got his walking stick, you know, his mustache, his beard, his eyebrows. He's got thick eyebrows. The man is hairy. He's pretty hairy. He's a hairy man. Could be a werewolf. And he's walking down the street and he's fly with it because his suit, you know, outside of maybe some flareness to like the shoulders and the and the legs. It's pretty much just a nice suit. Right, right. You know what I mean? So he's he's fresh. Right, it's just tailored. Exactly. Right. So Looks I'm like, like a good suit. And there's something about that way that shot that I'm like, okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right, we're doing something. Okay. okay. Thomas is doing something. All right, Thomas, you're bringing me in. Okay. You're bringing me in, Thomas. I'm with you, bruh. Let's go. And then. And then. <laughs> he gets to the bookies. Oh, yeah. The big that bookie with a conk yeah yeah and looking as greasy as jermaine jackson oh wait you mean sam finian yes oh all right go ahead well, he is looking greasy you ain't be talking so bad about sam he finian. looked greasy he did he was greasy yeah and right then i'm um i'm like uh it couldn't last and it didn't mm-hmm and the movie 
just kind of just plateaus from there. Okay. And whatever energy was and assurance was built up at the beginning of that film just slowly seeps from this movie Mm -hmm. the rest of the way. The crazy thing about it, though, is that as I'm watching this film and I'm listening to the story beats, you know, him wanting to pull this heist about $3 million in jewels and I'm going to need like to get like a crew. Right. And then we're going to need to get somebody to fence the jewels. It's hitting my brain. I'm like, this sounds real familiar. This sound, this story sounds real familiar. So I go to the internet while I'm watching the movie, and lo and behold, this is a re- remake of the Asphalt Jungle, which I had only just seen for the first time, not even a month ago. Wow! I just watched that movie. I've never seen it, so I'm very interested in this. The Asphalt Jungle. And both these movies, based on the same book right. of the same name. They right, right, them. right. 1950s film noir movie. Um, it stars Sam Jaffe, basically plays the Thomas Rosala um, role in this. Mm-hmm. Guy getting out of, he's called Doc in the movie. Um, getting out of prison and he, he's just concocted this deal, you know, how to get these jewels and everything like that. The beautiful thing about the asphalt jungle is that it's a movie that's all about these crooks and about the lives that they lead and why the lives that they lead lead them to take this this risky mission. Right. And then the fallout from it. Right. And how they have to deal with the consequences of the fallout. Okay. Each and every one of them all the way literally until the exact end of the movie. Right. And because that film is about the crooks and because it is told from the crooks point of view, they more or less become your sentiment, your, your sentimental heroes right. in this film, even though because of the, in the time that, that that film was set in the 1950s, basically, I'm not sure if this was written or unwritten, but the rule, the, the the state of law in Hollywood then is that bad guys could not win at the end. Right, of crime movie. doesn't pay. Exactly, crime that, doesn't pay. That has to yeah, always that was be what the the, the right. outcome was. So you're rooting for them, even though you know right they're going to lose. Right, um, and you do you 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 get wrapped up in it. Right. You even get wrapped up in like in this movie, the Raymond St. Jock character who basically plays the guy who is going to fence the jewels for sure. them. But then lo and behold, tries to um, get over on them. Right. Right. In the in the Asphalt Jungle, that role is played by uh, character actor Lewis Calhoun. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't know his name, but in the 40s and 50s, he's a huge character actor. Like, and, and me, who spends 10 hours a day watching Turner Classic movies, I see him all the time. So okay. I, I know him, right? And that role is one of the more juicier roles in this, in this film, in this story. Right. Right? And Lewis Calhoun, actually, even though he's duplicitous in it, you still kind of feel for him at the very end. Right. Which is why I can imagine 
that somebody of Raymond St. Jock's pedigree, right. when he hears about, oh, we're going to be doing a remake of the Asphalt Jungle. Oh, I want to play the Lewis Calhoun part. Yes, I am with it. I can imagine that being very enticing for him. Right. And which is why then when this movie takes forever for him to, to come in, which to admittedly is the same in the Asphalt Jungle, they don't do anything with him. Right. They don't give him any type of real meat. Yeah. To 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 work with. Yeah. And it's a shame because we've talked about it before. Raymond St. Jock is one of those He's, those lost uh voices. Just a great actor. A yeah. great uh, just yeah. a great presence. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean and, and, love Raymond St. Jock. And the shame of it is in this movie, not only is he not given any real meaty dialogue or direction to to work with, but then how they how they how they've dressed him. And you know the the fake gray hair in him. Yeah. He, he looks like he stepped off of Sanford and Son. Right. It's just real disappointing to yeah. see to see him used that way. Um, and and the other thing and uh, is that this movie, the women in this movie, for the most part, are very disposable. Yes, they are there, absolutely. They are there just no question. to basically show off themselves. Yeah, oh yeah. And then just to keep it moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, oh yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Keep to, yeah, but you want to talk about waste. Right. The, yeah. A huge huge waste. The shame of it though is that the asphalt jungle is there's only really two women in that movie. Mm-hmm. And and Cool Breeze is about four or five. And basically, they're, and, and three of them basically are just there to take off their clothes and show themselves and then walk out the scene. Right, right. Well, go go ahead, go ahead. But yes, in the absolutely. Asphalt Jungle, there are there's only really two. One is uh one is one of the first appearances of Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe, Monroe. Right. That's right? yeah. Who basically is just there to be some bumblegum girl. She plays she play, plays basically the same role that uh Mark Margaret Avery, Avery. plays mm-hmm. in this movie, right? Um, and she's just some bubblegum girl. That's it. It's mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, her, but her character is there to kind of inform you about Raymond St. Jock's character, about right. the Fences character. Uh, and I think, I think in in both films they probably play the the role correctly, and in the and so it works out. But in the Asphalt Jungle, the uh, another character actress of the time, Jean Hagen. She plays basically the um, downtrodden girlfriend of the big brute yes. in that movie, right? Um, who I believe was played by uh, John McIntyre. Um, in Cool Breeze, mm. Gene Hagen's role is basically played by Judy Pace. Yes. Your girl. Yes, she is. Who, at this time, 1972... Is probably one of the you know more prominent black actresses right on on the scene right because television is, in Hollywood and because this is quietly before black exploitation has really really hit. popped yeah right. right but she's already been on in um film she was right, in a right. film I think three in the attic mm-hmm. uh, she was on a television show the the young lawyers I was about to say she worked all in television through the 60s right. and 70s so yeah. she was she was she was a name like yeah. you you got Judy Pace in here okay we got somebody in here right 
in the book and as well as in the asphalt jungle that role she she has a not much agency right to, to grant it but she's given some agency and that she is at least pulling at the big lug to like you know like why don't you do right and if you're not going to do right at least i'm going to ride with you right you know what i mean in cool breeze judy pace is wasted Yes. She's absolutely wasted, given nothing to do. Yeah. At all. And it's real it is one of the, the biggest shames of this movie. Yeah. However, the biggest shame of this movie is that this is a heist film. It starts mm. off, it's about a heist. It's about Thomas Rosales has this idea to pull off this heist to get $3 million. And I need to pull in all these desperate characters. And like every good heist film, there's always the, you know, lining up of your guys. So I need a big brute guy. Well, you know, you get the big brute guy, right? Um, then I need somebody that's a safe cracker. Well, lo and behold, there's a preacher. Yes. That's a safe cracker. Yes. What, what, what? And back in his office, <laughs> the man has a laser. <laughs> Not just any laser. I think this was the laser from Goldfinger. Yeah, this laser. He has a secret government laser. A secret in, government laser. In the back of the church. In the back. Uh, in the closet. In the closet. In the back of the church. Just in case. Because you never know. You never know. What do you mean you ain't tithing? Right. right, right. <laughs> I'm like, what? You know. What? Yes, yes. And. They need a wheel man. Need a wheel man. They need a wheel man. Always need well, a wheel man. Well, the big brute, we find out, has a, a a half brother. Yes. Who he darn near beats the death <laughs> to steal his little pastrami money from his little deli. They have a complicated relationship. They're very complicated I relationship. I thought they need to go on Ayala Van Sant and work through <laughs> their issues. I looked at him. I shook my head. I said, you two need to do the work. You have to do the work, beloved. So they need a wheelman. So basically the getaway guy. Yes. To yes. drive the getaway car, yeah. right? Which means that they're going to be stealing these jewelry. Yes. And they're going to be getting away fast. Yes. Which means, well, that we need a bus. We're getting, no, now we're getting away fast. We're getting away. I actually like that part of the plan. I like the idea. Like, I like the idea. I like the yeah. idea that they're getting the bus so they, they kind of like blend in yeah. with the city. Right. But the way the bus is the, used, the execution of the execution plan. of it. Right. You, you're seeing a theme here, though. Yes, <laughs> you're seeing a theme. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This makes it makes no sense. Yeah. But but in every heist film, from the dawn of time, because let's face it, Cool Breeze is not the beginning of heist films. Not at all. They've been making heist films, ladies and gentlemen, since the forties. I mean, since the thirties. I mean, Ocean's Eleven is nineteen what? Sixty something. Yeah. So well, Asphalt Jungle is nineteen fifty. Oh yeah, well, we talking about Cool Breeze though. Okay, like Cool Breeze is after you know anything after Ocean's Eleven. That's the template. Well, okay. Well, no, because Asphalt Jungle is nineteen fifties, and this is the template. Because right. Asphalt Jungle is the same thing. They get these desperate people together, right? And then what they do, as in every heist film, you show how the pieces come together. As right. Each piece, each member has to do their part in the plot. Yes. However. 
in Cold Breeze, you get everybody together so that they can stand and watch the laser. That's what happens yeah, in yeah, yeah. this movie. I could go on, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to speak. But suffice it to say, this was not a good time on I, my couch. I, 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 look, I think you, I think you've already uttered the key word several times and that key word is waste this is such an amazingly wasted opportunity you, you i'll start with the women to a woman each female cast member when you think about the caliber of talent mm -hmm. that they have margaret avery paula kelly judy pace Pam Greer, mm -hmm. who is not the world's greatest actress until, you know, really Jackie Brown. Mm -hmm. And you say, oh, she's really an actress. All four of them are underutilized to the point where I don't even understand. Because as you said, you know, maybe not Pam Greer, but certainly Paula Kelly, Margaret Avery and Judy Pace are working professional known actresses. Yeah, this is this very point. early in Pam Greer's career. I completely understand why MGM almost went bankrupt before Shaq. <laughs> because the money that they had to pay these three women, they could have just gotten some young actress off the street for what they did in the film. Mm -hmm. You talk about Thalmas Rasulla and Thalmas Rasulla as, as this great character actor of the 70s which he is but you could play Michelle Mission Bingo in this film that's true with actors that you and I have talked about yep. you've got Lincoln Kirkpatrick in this film you've got um you've got Stock Pierce yeah in this film you've got Royce Wallace as uh Raymond St. Jock's character's wife Oh, that's who right. We've seen who is fantastic and has two scenes where just as they're about like you have Royce Wallace and Raymond St. Jock in the same scene as an older couple. And each scene that they're together, I think they're in three scenes together. As soon as the scene starts to get interesting, they cut to something else. Yeah. Joked about Sam Finian. I like Sam Finian. I like him. He's another one of these guys who shows up mm -hmm. in, on the perimeter right, of right. these films. And the thing I like about Sam Finian, which is something that you commented on, like everyone is very natural and afroed out. Sam Finian got himself a conch in 1952. And he said, I'm a rod this conch from now on. Yepper. So he's this great contrast just physically. Yes. To everyone else. He's in here. And like I said, I didn't see as I've, I've never seen Asphalt Jungle. And and everything that you just said made complete sense to me that and I actually read a couple of reviews that said this. This is a film that can't decide whether or not it wants to be a heist or a character study. Yeah. Or as a film that was made almost immediately after Shaft, which if you look at the advertising, all the advertising says, you know, from the company that brought you Shaft, like they're very much trying to ride the coattails of Shaft. Mm -hmm. They're trying to slap a coat of paint on it. Yeah. 
and make it a black exploitation film. And the sad irony is if they just trusted these actors, the caliber of actors that you have, something you just said that I think is worth underlying about Judy Pace being a working actress and a professional actress all throughout the 60s on television and in film when this film is made. You really have almost two generations of blacks, quote unquote, black exploitation actors, or rather, black actors who were in black exploitation films. Mm-hmm. You had, you know, Pam Greer, Richard Roundtree, Fred Williamson, you know, basically that generation of actors who became actors yes. during the black exploitation period. But you had dare I say, an older generation, five to 10 years older, that these were classically trained actors who then grew, basically grew out afros. Mm -hmm. And the caliber of acting is different. This is a film that could have been made just straight ahead as a black remake of The Asphalt Jungle. Yes. Just a straight ahead remake. Yep. And... You could have used this because I, you know, I, I, without reading the script, without seeing the film, I could see that this was a script that needed at least two more drafts just for the timing of it. Mm-hmm. Because everything that you said, I think I absolutely agree with. I like the story. Like I could tell that I liked this story. Right, right. And right. I could tell that these were. In some incarnation, well-rounded characters. Yes. And you could see that the relationships between all of the characters and certainly the the romantic couplings, Mm -hmm. there was some depth there in some incarnation of it. Yeah. But it didn't make it to the screen of Cool Breeze. Right, right. One of of the short circuits that that I saw between them trying to basically cram this into what was going to become very quickly a black exploitation formula. Like I, I actually didn't look at the chronology. Obviously, this came out after Shaft. I'm going to assume this came out either after Superfly, or 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 when Superfly was was a known entity. Mm-hmm. Thalmus Rosella's character. In the asphalt jungle, listening to you, sounds like in a lot of ways he is almost part of an ensemble. Yes. This is an ensemble piece. But at this time, if you look at the publicity for this film, you, you look at the trailer, you look at the posters, Thomas Rosala's character is positioned as almost this hero mm-hmm. or this protagonist right? with everyone surrounding him. And because of that, because it doesn't commit to either this lone protagonist, you know, basically the Shaft formula, which if you look at Shaft, Shaft, you know, speaking of noir, Shaft is is just a, a, a Raymond Carver story. Like, it's really just a Philip Marlowe story yeah. but with a black character, mm-hmm. well-built world, all of these different characters, but Shaft is your through line. They don't do this with Thomas Rosala. On the other hand, they don't trust these actors and these characters enough to give the moments time to breathe. Right. So that you can actually become invested in these relationships the way it sounds like you become invested in the relationships and asphalt jungle. 
Yeah. So that when the film ends, I have to say, I obviously thought it was a waste of talent, but I didn't hate it just because there were moments in, in like not scene to scene, but like scenes by themselves. Like there's, there's, there's this great scene where Raymond St. Jock and his wife are playing pool. And I like those three or four minutes there together. There's a shot. Because she's telling him about himself. She's telling him about himself. And you could tell they all, they still <clears throat> sort of love each other. I love the scene where Thalmas Rosala's character goes, Thalmas Rosala and Sam Finian go to Raymond St. Jock's place on the ocean. And it's shot through the, through the, 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 the skylight. That was, and they're yeah, sitting yeah. on, and and it's a great again two three minutes like throughout this hour and forty four minute film, there are maybe eight or nine three minute moments that I liked, so that you know to skip to the end and we say oh well should people see it should they not see it, like I almost don't want like my default is no I I, I can't recommend this no you can't. Because that's still only twenty seven minutes. I know, I know. So it 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 is it was just a waste. It's a big waste. And talking about trust and not trusting the actors and not trusting the story, there are some changes to the story that they they make. Some of the some of the changes they make because of the setting. Of course, you know, nineteen fifties. It was all white guys then. Sure, this is you know pre- predominantly black. So you're going to change some of the trappings, some of the language, things like that. But there are some story beats that they change that make absolutely, absolutely no sense. Okay. And to the to the degree that they just pull you out of the movie because you're talking about how this movie doesn't know whether or not it wants to be a heist or a character study. It also doesn't know whether whether or not it wants to be a an action movie or a comedy because right. there's there's some scenes, especially when you get around the white cops and this 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 bus driver yeah. who got knocked upside the head, where I'm I'm waiting for Bill Cosby and Sidney Poitier to come around the corner, right? Because it just feels like a whole another movie that we're watching, right? You know what I mean? Um, and then there's another another story beat where um, the Raymond St. Jock character, who is you know. He's got this thing going on on the side with with the young girl, Margaret Avery. Yes. Right? But he's also got the elderly wife, who knows a bit more or less about the young girl. Yeah, absolutely. And telling him about himself. Um, which, quick aside, there's a whole lot of conversation in this movie about black men and their sexual prowess or lack thereof. Well, you know, in this, there's a lot of commentary about that in this movie. White director, white scriptwriter. Yeah, that, that and that. I mean, one time is like okay. Yeah, but you're. It's actually a plot point. Exactly. Yeah, it keeps hitting you upside the head with, yeah. with multiple different with, dudes. I was about to say with multiple characters. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Some like whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, yeah I, so, I somebody, somebody is a little obsessed with black penises. Hmm. Um. Maybe I should send him a copy of Brother Charles. Welcome back. Please don't. Welcome home, Brother Charles. <laughs> that, that might be interesting. Anyway. Um, God, that movie scarred me. Uh, you're bringing back images that I do not ever need to see again. Oh, my God. You know, 
<laughs> Another aside. <laughs> you know, we screen movies on Halloween <laughs> and Amalgam. <laughs> it might make for an interesting oh. late night screening and Amalgam. <laughs> well, let's take under consideration. Uh, but I digress. If they had trusted the story, yes, as it is written, the Raymond St. Jock uh, character, Mercer, is he's being pulled at all angles by his young chippy, by his, his old wife, right. by him trying to get over on these guys, yeah. and then bungling that. Yes. And then through different machinations, basically the cops come and they realize that his part in this scheme. Right. And he's going through it. Right. So much so that, you know, spoilers for a 80 year old movie, well, 40 year old movie. He's moved to like do the Dutch. Yeah. Right. But in this movie, what he does, he commits suicide by cop mm-hmm. by coming down with an unloaded gun. Right. You know, pointed at the police officers, basically forcing them to to shoot and kill him. Right? In the asphalt jungle, as well as in the book, that character actually, when the cops catch catch on to him, uh goes upstairs and says, Well, can I at least go get my jacket? Goes upstairs and writes a letter to his wife. Right apologizing to his wife yeah for what he put her through see that's a great character beat exactly and then takes his life yeah that's a great character beat and it wouldn't it would have taken the exact same amount of time exact same amount of time it would have been that much more uh um of of uh of it would have actually really ended that man's story you would have known what he'd gone through and i'm I wouldn't be surprised if it came out that, be, and there's such a powerful moment in that movie that I wouldn't be surprised if that's one of the reasons Raymond St. Jack signed on to this movie. Right. Knowing like, oh, we're doing the Asphalt Jungle? I get to do that role. Right. Which means I'm going to play out that scene. Right. Which is like, if you're an actor, you're a working actor, that's, that's, one, of those, that's one of those things you, you, you cry out for. Now, here's a question. The lead that Thomas Rosella plays in Cool Breeze. Yes. Does he escape at the end like Thomas Rosella does? 1950s movies. So he doesn't. He does not. Now, see, and that's exactly what I mean. That's ex- that's ex- that. And I knew it. Exactly. Because tell, when right? he ran away at the end, you could tell that this was a play on the soon to be black exploitation trope mm-hmm. that the black man gets away. I knew it because it felt like the pull of the heist gone wrong film that everyone was going to pay the price. Right. And then when he gets away at the end, which not for nothing in a film starring Thomas Rosella, everything we know about Thomas Rosella and his charm and his wit, you see no evidence of it throughout this entire film. No, you see a spark when he basically talks himself out of getting arrested mm-hmm. with the two policemen at the end mm-hmm. and basically tricks them into thinking that he's a celebrity 
because it's been an ongoing joke throughout the film, which I felt like they could have done more with that, that all these black men look alike. Mm -hmm. As he runs towards the camera and the movie goes off, I said, that doesn't feel right. Exactly. It doesn't. And and that ongoing joke about all black men look alike. I think what they are trying to play off in this film is that in the original and in the book, Doc, who is the the Thomas Rosala character in the in Asphalt Jungle, is a noted thief. Right. So then, when he's released, basically the police know. Oh, you know they they got word. Oh, you know Doc's out. Right. So we're going to be on the lookout for stuff happening. Because right. Doc's going to be in the mist. So that when this jury heist goes off and everything like that, everybody's looking for Doc. Um, and it basically boils down that it, it is Doc. And the, and the movies kind of sync up. The character basically gets into a cab, gets the cab to drive him to another city, and you think he may actually get away. Right. They stop at a diner to get something to eat. Him and the cabbie. Because by, by now, him and the cabbies are kind of like cool. Right. It's like in the cool breeze. At the diner, the cabbie comes out of the rent room. He says, hey, we need to uh, get on the road. And the cop and, and, and Doc, who's sitting there, because you got to remember, he had just got out of San Quentin. And the second after he came out of San Quentin, all he wanted to do was pull this heist. Well, now he's pulled this heist. He thinks he's getting away. He's at this diner. He's eating a burger, drinking some drinks. His kids all in the in the in the diner and there's a young girl up there dancing getting a gro- getting a groove on and this is it, this is actually the first time that you see him even in any way engage with a woman right in the movie and he doesn't even talk to her he's just looking at her he's just you know just tickled looking at a, a woman for god knows for the first time in ever right so he basically tells the cabbie here have another malted we'll leave after this song and he buys the girl another song just so that she can dance because he knows it's the song that she likes so she's she's dancing and he just sits down and watches her and it is as he plays that song goes up to play that song cops pull up get something from the diner walk out one of the cop turns around and looks thinks nothing of it keeps going about his business Doc plays the other song, sits back down. Now the cop is looking in the window on the outside. Hey, I know that guy. Calls it in. They come pick up Doc. If he had not played that song. Right. He would have gotten away. He would have gotten away. Right. Great freaking ending to the movie. Fantastic end to the movie. Which not for nothing now that you've you've told it, 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 you could see that the film Heat, Michael Mann's Heat plays with that exactly yeah a, a great heist film a great heist film heat same thing though yeah yeah well no not in cool breeze not in cool breeze not in cool breeze and then not for nothing thomas Rosala's character has to be overly sexualized because it's a black exploitate or the beginning of the and that's what we do we we have this over sexualized black man right so even that is a nice character beat like like i don't have time for women I don't have time for any of this. And then at the end, you get this moment when he does, and that leads to his downfall. See, these are character beats. This is how you build character. (laughs) Yes. And again, it's such a waste because you had the template. Like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. No, you don't. 
Yeah, it's a real it's 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 a real shame because, like I said, similar to you, I had higher hopes because as the movie as the credits were rolling, and I just saw who all was in it, and it really was just a cavalcade of these '70s black actors that I have loved in parts mm-hmm. throughout the '70s, and then they were all together, and 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 you end up with this. So it's for that reason that I cannot recommend Cool Breeze. Yeah, I, I mean, I I can't I can't either. You, you know, like I said, I, I love a lot of the actors in here, but frankly, all of them do better work. Yeah, in other projects and other films. Yeah, yeah. So even though my my beloved Judy Pace is in here in the Afro wig throughout the whole thing, <laughs> which I did like that. I'm sure you did. I did like that. She's the very striking woman. Oh, Judy Pace is the best. She is. And you know she's the best because she was in a movie with Margaret Avery and Paula Kelly. And uh, Pam Greer. What's her name? What's her name for one scene? Pam. Oh, yeah. Pam Greer. Mm-hmm. So. In a you, memorable scene, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's it's very much an early Pam Greer appearance. You know, she, yes, she's she actually credited in. as Pamela right, Greer. Right. She she comes in, they they give her a check, she takes her shirt off. Her robe. Her robe, I'm sorry. They say thank you for your service, Ms. Greer. Grab something from the craft table, craft services table, on your way out. So That's fine. Yeah. yeah. She was on her way to the set of coffee. Yes, yes. So she was good. All right. All right. That's well, ladies and gentlemen. It's a shame. It is a shame. It is a shame. Maybe we'll do better next week. But before we tell you what's coming next week, we invite you all to email us all of your thoughts and um, concerns in regards to this film and any film that is uh, tickling through your brain at mission at gmail.com. Misho is spelled M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X. Like and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, as well as on Facebook at Mission. Join the Misho Mission Facebook group where we have a whole lot of fun with all of our missionaries in there having a great old time. This show is available in an edited form every Saturday, every Saturday at 1 p.m. on WPPM 106.5 FM Philly Cam People Power Media here in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection we call Philadelphia as well as you can wake up with me show every Monday morning at 9 a.m. on 91.7 FM WKDU the voice of Drexel University the me show mission is a proud member of the podglomerate podcast network Podglomerate curated podcast for your listening pleasure. Next week on the Michelle Mission. Next week on the Michelle Mission, we you you mentioned that you had jumped in the Wayback Machine and landed in the seventies. And as we were parting last week, mm-hmm. I said to you, "Well, then maybe I will take up the gauntlet and go to the sixties. Okay, and technically, I didn't. <laughs> this film was released in May of 1970. Okay. But it was written in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And it feels very much like a 60s level farce. And I think you will forgive me because it stars an actor that you have spoken very fondly of, but we haven't 
we we haven't viewed a lot of his work here on on the mission. That would be Godfrey Cambridge. Oh, who yeah. stars as Jeffrey Gerber. Oh man, an average <laughs> run of the mill white man yes. who awakens one day and discovers that he has become black. Loosely based on Franz Kafka's The Metamorphosis, as well as the autobiography Black Like Me, directed by my friend, but not yours, Melvin Van Peebles. <laughs> I am, of course, speaking of the classic 1970 satire, Watermelon Man. Oh, my God. Next week on the Michelle Mission. Oh, oh, I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment. I have been so tempted to watch the Watermelon Man again so many times. I'm like, nope, wait for it to come up on the show. Well, your time has come. Oh, I haven't seen this film since I was a kid. I haven't seen this film in probably 20 years. Oh, wow. Wow. Man. Okay. 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 All right. Next week, the next watermelon week, man. The watermelon man. Oh, sucky now. Sucky, sucky. Ooh, seeds and all. <laughs> Until then, he's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say, We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.